0: Amen. Hey, do me a favor real quick. Kind of do some high-fiving in the place. Some air high-fiving, by the way. Air high-fiving. We are, uh, are pandemic-approved around here. We try to be as safe as we can. Hey, real quick, give it up for our worship band in this place this morning. Come on. Come on. We are so blessed. Uh, every week we get to experience uh, not, not only just the presence of God in this place through their ministry, But I I get to see it every day in the way that they live their life. And so if you know our band, thank you, guys. If you know our band personally, you know that they are men and women who really do love Jesus. Um, They're not just using their talents for the church, but they're doing it, and God's flowing through them, which is why we hear all of the time verbiage like this when people leave. They go, man, I just felt the Holy Spirit in that place. And the reason for that is because the people that are leading up here truly have a relationship with God, and they're seeking him daily. Um, And I say all that. And I want to back that up with this. I want to encourage you. They have got an album that is getting released song by song by song on Spotify and iTunes and all those different things. Go and listen to that. The music videos are on YouTube. Go check that out and just look at what God has done through them during this season, uh, 2020 and all that we, they went through and what God produced out of them. It was pretty Incredible, And so anybody heard some of those songs? Let me hear you real quick. If you've listened to some of those songs, you watch the videos. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so people love them. It's exciting. Uh, real quick, before we get into uh, the Journey series again today, I do want to just say a couple of quick things. Number one is as far as you getting connected. If you are new to the church, whether you are in person with us or whether you're new to us online, maybe you've been watching for a couple of weeks or a couple of months, but you've been watching since the pandemic started and you haven't actually come to the church in person I want to encourage you to get connected, and you can do that in one of two ways. If you're online, there's going to be a number coming on the screen. I want to ask you to text that number so that we can get information about you, reach out and connect. If you're with us in person, I want to encourage you to just hang out in the lobby for just a couple of moments after service. My wife and I would love to meet you, uh, get to know a little bit about you, share uh, just kind of the vision of Victory, and then maybe answer any questions that you would have. Again, we love and thank you for visiting with us at Victory. There are four ways that you can get connected here. There are four things that we're about. We call it our four Gs, grow, God, give, and go. Uh, The number one way you can get get connected is to continue to come. Uh, Come on Sundays, come to the worship experience, watch online, and grow in your knowledge of God. Second is guiding, which is our discipleship process, which I understand that because of the pandemic, it's a little bit uh, different in this season, but we are looking into some some creative ways to roll that out again in the spring. And so uh, I'll be sharing more about that Weeks to come, and I hope you get involved in that. The last two ways: one is to give, whether you're giving financially or whether you're giving in service. Uh, you can obviously give financially, but you can also give by serving on one of our dream teams. And we just opened the nursery today, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you can you can join, be a part of it. You can bring your kids. Nursery's open. We got volunteers already serving. You can serve in our production team, worship team, first impressions team, and nursery. Uh, and and we just love to have you use your talents for God. And last but not least is uh, in outreach, and so we do a lot through our church in outreach. We want to encourage you to get involved in that, whether it is, again, just giving financially or giving of your time and your service, and so, again, welcome to Victory. So glad you could be a part of it. Hope you will get connected. Last but not least, before we jump into it, uh, I have been encouraging you during this series to get a journal get a journal. Get a paper Bible if you can and get a journal. And the reason for that is because in case you are just popping in with us, I think this is week 19 or week 20 that we have been in the book of John. And what we've been doing is just kind of going chapter by chapter because we want you to understand who God is, not because it's who your mom said or it's because who your college professor said or who your best friend said, but it's because it's who you learned him to be reading the scriptures. And so as you are reading it, hey, God's going to tell you something that you need to write down. You need to write it down so that you can look at it later. You need to write it down so that maybe you could use it to share with a friend. And so please get a journal and start writing some stuff down. And today is the most important day for you to have a journal. So if you don't have one, go like, Oh, I'm stupid. No, don't do that. I'm just kidding. Uh, but, but hey, write it down on your phone. Write it down in whatever you have. Write it on your hand. Get ready to write some stuff down today because what we're doing today, and I'll explain in a moment, is getting us ready for what I think God wants to do in 2021. So you ready for the word? Here we go. If you got your Bibles, open to the book of John chapter 12. John chapter 12. We finished John chapter 11 last week, and in John chapter 12 today, and we'll start at verse one. All right, so if you got your Bibles, again, whether it's on your phone or whether you brought your paper Bible, uh, open that up. John chapter 12, verse 1. Here we go. It says, six days before the Passover. Now, that's important. Let me pause for a second. Let me explain this. Six days before the Passover. Uh, it's six days at this moment until Jesus is going to be killed or crucified, killed, buried, and then resurrected. And so we are in the last week of Jesus's life Um, potentially, obviously, before he resurrected. And John puts almost half of his gospel about this last week of Jesus's life. So I think it's really important for us to understand that obviously a lot of great truth comes out of the last week of Jesus's life because John chose to write 21 chapters and about, let's see, uh, nine or 10 of them or so happen in the last week of Jesus's life. So that's why it's important for you to understand John says, hey, we are six days before the Passover. We are in the last week of Jesus's life. Here we go. Jesus came to Bethany. Bethany is where Lazarus and Martha and Mary live. We talked about them a couple of weeks ago, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. And so obviously we talked about that. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. That's where Jesus is. And here a dinner was given in Jesus's honor. So it was custom to do something like that. Obviously there was a miracle when Jesus resurrected Lazarus from the dead. So they said, hey, let's throw a dinner to honor and celebrate what Jesus did. And so Jesus shows up for the dinner. It's interesting, just keep note, that this is the last week of Jesus' life, and he knows it, but yet he does not deny to come to their house for a dinner celebration. I think that's interesting. Totally irrelevant to the message, but interesting. Uh, Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, which is kind of an an oil, an expensive perfume as they say it, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and she wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? Because the perfume is worth a year's Wages, you imagine that? So if that was in today's anywhere from probably $40,000 to $70,000 would have been how much this oil was worth, and she broke it and poured it on Jesus' feet. He said this, watch this, not because he cared about the poor, (laughs) it's because he was a thief. Now John is obviously writing this long after it happened, so he's looking back, knowing what Judas did, knowing what happened to Judas, and he goes, man, he wasn't asking this because he cared, he was asking this because he was a stinking thief. And as keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial, because that was custom, to put perfume on dead bodies before they were buried. And you will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there, and they came not only because of him, but they also came to see who? Lazarus. Because Lazarus had been raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. So they were gonna kill Jesus and Lazarus. For on account, watch this, of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. I wanna talk to you for a moment this morning from the idea you are what you believe. You are what you believe. Have you ever had a smell generate a memory? You know what I'm talking about? Like, like you just, you know, you just kind of get a whiff of something, and then all of a sudden, you, know, you start to think about something. For example, uh, you might smell anybody, anybody ever, ha- how do I say this? Do you appreciate the smell of hose water? You know what I'm talking about? I'm not the only part, right? There's just something about hose water that is like amazing. And, and when I smell it, it, it takes me back to like summertime and all. It just, it just generates a memory. Uh, uh, do, you, do you have any uh, foods that when you smell foods, they, they kind of generate a memory? Maybe it's like an apple pie, or you know, or maybe it's baking bread, or whatever it is, and when you smell it, it's like, oh, mom used to do that, or grandma used to do that, and it's amazing. Uh, what about a perfume or a cologne, right? My, my dad had a, a certain cologne. I think it was called obsession. Uh, I, I think I don't think it ever actually worked in that concept, but but he wore it all the time and I would smell it and be like, oh man, my dad must be close, right? Uh, Darla was talking about her grandfather. She said she, uh, she would always smell pipe and then she would remember her grandfather. She smelled pipe, you know, because he would always smoke a pipe. She would think about her grandfather. So so y- y'all are with me on this, right? You, you, you know what it's like to kind of have a smell generate a memory, Researchers actually say, I thought this was interesting, that 75% of our emotions are generated due to smell. Isn't that crazy? 75% of your emotions are generated because of what you smell. One scientist said it like this, smells go into the emotional part of the brain and the memory part, whereas words go into the thinking part of the brain. So when you hear something, words it goes into the thinking part. When you smell something, it goes into the emotional part. Here's why I bring that up. I think it's so interesting that John, years after this actually happened, sets down to write the Gospel of John, and he recalls the fact that the oil that Mary used to wash Jesus' feet and ankles had a fragrance. He brings up the fact that the fragrance filled the room, the fact that years later, John still remembered the entire scene because of a smell, right? So like, here was my thought. Every time he probably smelled that smell, he probably remembered that moment, right? Like if he was somewhere with people and then all of a sudden he got a whiff of pure nard or whatever that particular scent was, I wonder if he just ever had that moment where he was like, oh man, do you smell that? I got to tell you this story. It was this one time we were over at Lazarus' crib, and da da, da 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 and he starts telling them this story. He's like, all because of this whiff. So then it made me think about this. When you get a whiff of God, when you get a whiff of church, when you get this whiff of Jesus or, or religion, what memories are generated? When somebody starts talking about God, what starts happening in your head? When somebody starts talking about church, when someone starts talking about Jesus, what, what things, what, what emotions are generated? Last week, I talked about three misconceptions that the world has about God. And I talked about how we use this frame of reference and there are different things that kind of develop this, uh, these, these misconceptions. We talked about how church and Christians and, and the, the, the Bible misconceptions. always kind of, And we talked about how the misconceptions were that God was distant, displeased, and detached. And then we walked through how Jesus disproved all three of those. And instead, God is actually near and God is actually in love with you and that God is actually attached. And we talked about this. And what we kind of started to kind of pick away at what do you what memories do you generate? What thoughts do you generate when people start to talk about church or God or Jesus? And so then it made me arrive at this question. And if you've got your journals, here's the question I want you to write down, all right? This is, this is the main question of your journal, of this series, the journey, everything. You ready? Here's the question What do you believe? What do you believe? I'm actually convinced that over the next 11 to 12 weeks or so, uh, this series will come to a close on Easter Sunday, we'll finish the book of John, and I believe we're going to be able to shape what we believe, and then I believe that on Easter Sunday, I'm going to show you why you can believe these things, and then starting the Sunday after Easter Sunday, we're going to start studying the book of Acts, and we're going to learn this, how do we live what we believe? But before we can get there, and I wanted to shoot right there, with everything that's going on, I wanted to go, wait a minute, let's stop it all, and let's start living like we're believers in Jesus. But I said, whoa, before we do that, let's back up a little bit, because I think that everybody kind of believes something different. So what do you believe? Do you believe in the Holy Trinity? Do you believe Jesus is the only way to heaven? Do you believe that Jesus is coming back and going to establish a new kingdom? Or do you think that Jesus wants to be the kingdom of, of earth? Like, you know, what, what do you believe? Do you believe that there are other ways to... What, what do you believe? Because more than ever, <laughs> more than ever, if 2020 taught me anything, it's that you can be in a room with a group of people, and we can all be here for the same reason, and that's to honor Jesus, to worship Jesus, and yet, we can all have different beliefs. He said, That sounds weird. Let me show you what I mean. John chapter 12, watch this. Verse one: Six days before the Passover, Jesus comes to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead, and here a dinner is given in Jesus' honor. So we enter into a house where multiple people are: Martha, Mary, Lazarus, the disciples. Obviously, Judas. Eventually, we're going to have some chief priests who come by. The, The house is packed, and everybody's there to what? Honor Jesus. Everybody's there to celebrate Jesus. But yet, you can tell by the actions in the room that not everybody believes the same thing. What we believe will always determine what we prioritize, What you actually believe determines what you make a priority, okay? Everything can't be everything. Everything can't be the most important. You've got to prioritize things, and listen to me. What you prioritize will reveal what you believe. For example, if you prioritize going to the gym, then you must believe that the gym is going to make you healthier, right? You can say, oh, I believe that. But if you don't go to the gym, do you really believe it? You don't prioritize it. If if you believe that the most important thing for your kids is quality time, but you don't actually prioritize spending time with them, then do you believe it? Right? Like I'm just saying, Like what you believe determines what you prioritize. If you believe that the most important thing you can do is catch up on the bachelorette, or the bachelor, I don't know if we're male or female this time, then you will prioritize doing that. Because whatever you believe is what you prioritize. I was talking to Darla about this the other night. And, and she said this statement. I thought, oh, that's so good. She said, you can tell if you've prioritized Jesus on, if, on whether or not your Bible app is in the cloud. Did you catch that? Let me explain. If you don't use an app for a while and you have too much storage, This cool thing that Steve Jobs has done now from the grave is that this app will actually go into the cloud because you don't use it, so it doesn't want to take up memory. So the, the, the apps that you don't use go to the cloud. So she was just making a statement, like, obviously, if you haven't opened up your Bible app, haven't used the Bible app, it'll go to the cloud, right? Makes sense? Okay, you're with me? There we go, okay. So what you believe is what you prioritize. So let's go to this room that's happening in this dinner for Jesus, and Martha has prioritized serving. Because Martha believes in customs, and Martha believes in traditions, and Martha believes in rituals, and the custom of that day was that when you threw a dinner, the men's responsibility was to lounge and eat, and the women's responsibility was to serve. Now, that's not what we should want today, gentlemen, okay? But that's what the... Co- Stop. You will get it bad. Um, okay? Okay? They'll be laying on the hands, laying on of the hands. Um, and so, so, so here's the deal. That was just the custom. And, and Mary was a supporter of the custom. She believed in the custom and in the rituals. So while everybody else was doing their thing, Martha was serving. That's what she believed in. Judas believed in monetary gain. He believed in himself He believed in himself getting all the money, which is why we know that Judas ends up selling out Jesus for money and so on, right? Because Judas cared about himself, which is why he prioritized the value of the perfume being wasted instead of the actual act of Jesus being worshiped the chief priests that were mostly made up of Sadducees, they believed that the resurrection was a hoax. They believed that resurrection wasn't real. So they prioritized killing Jesus and killing Lazarus because Jesus was talking about resurrection and Lazarus had modeled it, okay? So what people prioritized was based off of what they believed. Everybody's in the room to do the same thing, to honor Jesus, but everybody's actions are revealing what they believe. Martha believes in customs, so she's serving. Judas believes in money, so he's going, man, I could have that's a whole year wages. Did the, the chief priests believe that the resurrection is real? So they're like, we gotta kill those two guys because you can still be in the presence of Jesus and not know what you believe. So people are all in the room and they're all doing different things. Because our actions, hear me, our actions will always reveal what we believe. So here was the question that I wrestled with all week. And because I love you and because I'm your pastor, I figured I'd give it to you so that you could wrestle with it for a week. You ready? All right. Based off your actions, if we were to look at your priorities, if we were to look at your actions, what do they say about what you believe? Your actions over the past week, over the past month, over the past year, what you have prioritized over the past day, over the past week, over the past year, what would those things say about what you believe? I was reading this story about this guy named Charles Blondin. I, think, I can't remember quite. I think it happened like in the 1800s or something. Don't quote me on the actual time frame. But this guy had got this great idea that he was going to set up this tightrope and he was going to walk across the Niagara Falls. Okay. So it's like 168 feet down, you know, down drop. And he sets up this tightrope and he starts kind of telling people about it. And he builds this crowd to come see him walk across this tightrope that's across the Niagara Falls. And so he's looking at this crowd and he's like, do you believe that I can walk across this tightrope? And they're like, Yes, we believe. And so he walks across the tightrope, you know, and he makes it and he doesn't die. And he goes, all right, do you believe that I can go across this tightrope on stilts? And they're like, yes, we believe. And so he goes across the tightrope on stilts and miraculously, he doesn't die. And so he says, do you believe I can go across this tightrope on a bicycle? And they're like, yes, we believe believe. And so he goes across the tightrope on a bicycle. And then he says, hey, do you believe I can go across this tightrope pushing a wheelbarrow? And they're like, yes, we believe. And he pushes the wheelbarrow across the tightrope and somehow he miraculously doesn't die. And he says, do you believe that I can push this wheelbarrow across this tightrope with a human being sitting inside of it? And they go, yes, we believe. And he goes, then who's going to get in it? And nobody raises their hand right? Because we can say we believe all day, but it's our actions that actually reveal what we believe. Do you believe? Yeah, I believe. Then get in it. Ah, I don't believe that much. (laughs) And this is kind of what I think is happening to modern day Christianity, is that we believe something, but the more that that belief is tested, the more we start to go, I don't believe that much. Because our actions always reveal we believe. Now listen, hold on. Before you start checking out, before you start grabbing your purse, before you go onto whatever else is on Facebook or whatever, this is not a message about what you do. It's not a message about behavior. I'm not preaching about behavior. This is a message about belief. I think the most common misunderstanding in modern day Christianity and modern day church is that we spend way too much time Focusing on what you do instead of what you believe. We have spent way too much energy on going after what people are doing. The church is known for what? Behavior modification. The church is known for going after what you do. If you start going to church, you know you're not going to be able to do that anymore. I saw you at church and you do that. It's all about what you do. And that's the Problem is that this isn't about what you do. It's about what you believe. Because listen, whatever you truly believe will automatically have a direct impact on how you live. It's not about what you do. It's about what you believe. Because what you believe, guarantee, no matter what I say to you, I can say anything to you. But something that you really believe automatically has an impact on what you do. Check this out. The disciples did not follow Jesus because the Bible instructed them to. Matter of fact, outside of the Old Testament, they were the Bible. They they were writing the Bible. They were living the Bible. They didn't have the New Testament. They couldn't go, well, hold on. You know, It says in John that I should follow Jesus. That wasn't a thing. The disciples didn't follow Jesus because the church encouraged them to. The church was trying to kill Jesus. The disciples didn't follow Jesus because of blessing and favor and all of these things. The modern day, or, or, or the, the early Christians were being persecuted and murdered. They weren't following Jesus because of the Bible. They weren't following Jesus because of church. They weren't following Jesus because of all the favor and the blessing. They were following Jesus. You ready? Here it is. Drum Drum roll. That's awkward. They were following Jesus because they believed in him. They believed that he was the son of God. They believed that he was God incarnate and human. They believed that he, that they believed all. And look, and I'm going to talk about this later, not today, but, but they, they, their beliefs were even strengthened even more once he died and resurrected. They followed him because they believed in Jesus. Jesus. Once you clarify what you believe, it naturally has an influence on what you do. Now, let me tell you this, and and hear me out before you start judging me when I say this. The purpose of the Bible is not to change your behavior. It's to build your belief. I, I guarantee most people think that the purpose of the Bible is to change behavior because of the way we communicate it. Well, you know what it says in the Bible? Can't do this. You should do that. And so we start to go, oh, okay. So God wrote the Bible to, to show us how to behave. That, that was the purpose of it. No, that wasn't the purpose of it. The purpose of the Bible was to help you build your belief in Jesus and in belief in God, and watch this, once you believed in God, then you want to change your behavior. So then you, re- you go back to the Bible to say, okay, how do other people who believe in God behave? The problem is we've gone after behavior without ever addressing belief. And if you don't believe, and yet I'm asking you to certainly to, to behave some way, then you're missing it. Yes, the Bible does tell us how to behave, but if you don't believe the Bible is the word of God, then why would you do anything that it says to do? So first, the Bible should, should develop your belief, and then you will want it to change your behavior because behavior follows belief. Belief. As many of you know, I was born and raised in Memphis, Tennessee, and it, <laughs> I don't know about that. And uh, if we all went back to Memphis right now, and we were all in a, in a, in a we'd have to be in a nice-sized van, uh, maybe a stretch limo or something. There's a lot of people in here. And so I was driving, and, I, and so our church that we were a part of was in a place called Raleigh. So you had Raleigh, and then you had this place called Bartlett, which is where Darla and I had a house once we got married, and then you had this place, Germantown, right? And so you, we would be driving through Raleigh, and I guarantee you, if I was driving, I'd have no seatbelt on, we'd be speeding, I'd have the window down and music blasting as we're going through Raleigh, just, just, ah, you know, whatever. And then the second we hit, there's a little line that says, welcome to Bartlett, and the second we hit that, I would slam on my brakes, I would buckle my seatbelt, I'd roll up my window and turn the music down. And the reason for that is because I truly believe that while you're in Bartlett, Tennessee, they will pull you over for speeding... They will pull you over for music being too loud, and they will pull you over for not wearing a seatbelt. The second I get to the end of Bartlett, where now it's Germantown, I'm unbuckling my seatbelt, I'm turning the radio back up, rolling the window down, and I'm speeding again, because I do not believe that in Germantown or Raleigh, that they will pull you over for those things. But I believe they will in Bartlett. So watch this. Nobody has to tell me how to behave. No one has ever been in the passenger seat, going, "Hey, you better, you better turn your music down. We're about to get to Bartlett." No one has to tell me how to behave because I believed, right? Even another illustration: I have had interactions with all kinds of people during this pandemic uh, season, and I have heard all kinds of different. Uh, you know, perceptions and, and, and takes on the whole scenario. And so I've had conversations with people who, I'm not going to say that they said that the virus was like not real, but they said, you know, it's kind of been blown out of proportion and those kind of things. And so I was, okay, you know, I'm listening to them, I'm, I'm whatever. And so uh, they wouldn't wear a mask or they wouldn't, they wouldn't social distance or, you know, they were just kind of like, hey, I'm going to do my thing. I think it's kind of blown out of proportion. And I'm like, okay, okay, do your thing. And so I would see them like two weeks later or a month later And then when I'd see them, they'd have like a mask on and they'd be like, don't come near me. You know, they'd be acting different. I'm like, what What happened to you? Why did you change? And they said, well, somebody close to me got it. I'm like, oh, okay. So your behavior changed because what changed? Your belief. I'm I'm just trying to give you the, the, the clearest examples here that Christianity has never been about you changing your behavior before you believe. Never. And that's the problem. I've said this from day one from this pulpit. Why are we surprised when sinners sin? Why are we surprised? They don't know Jesus. They don't believe in Jesus. So why would they behave like Jesus? The biggest problem we face today is that we are watching people who are Christians not behave like Jesus. And we're going, what's wrong? And I guarantee you, we don't have a behavior problem. We have a belief problem. That's the problem, church. It's not that they're not good people. It's not that you're not a good person. It's not that you don't come to church. It's not that you don't come to one place to honor Jesus. We do. But when it comes to what we believe, we aren't certain. And so, therefore, it's hard for us to behave when we aren't sure what we believe. So, back to my question. What do you believe? What do you believe? Well, when I was, no, 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 stop that. Well, pastor, you said, no, 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 stop that, stop that. What do you believe? I know what I believe. What do you believe? I, I think that's probably the most important question we should be asking right now. I don't know that the question there right now that we should be asking is, I wonder when I can get a vaccine. No, what do you believe? Not about the vaccine, about God. What do you believe? We'll come back to that. Let's, 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 let's address this question first. What did Mary believe that made her behave like she did? I walked you through what Martha believed and what, what Lazarus believed. I'm not Lazarus, uh, Judas and, and the Sadducees. Well, what did Mary believe that changed the way she behaved. That, that, that's what I want to ask. Let's go back to the Bible. John chapter 20. I'm sorry. John chapter 12. I'm sorry. John chapter 12. You yeah, that last part where it talks about what Mary did. So Mary comes into this room. We kind of we set the scenario up. Here we go. John chapter 12. Uh, well, maybe I don't have it on there. John chapter I, I, can, I can paraphrase it for you. Get ready. All right. So John chapter 12. They're sitting in, in the area, and uh, you know everybody's eating, lounging, and the Bible says that Mary comes into the room, and the Bible says that she takes the pure nard, right, and she uses it to wash the feet of Jesus, his feet, his ankles. says that she takes her hair, and she dries uh, his feet and his ankles with her hair, and then there's that moment where Judas says, oh my goodness, what is she doing? That's a lot of perfume that she wasted, and there's all this different reaction, and Jesus says, hey, leave her alone. That's the scene that happens, okay? Now watch this. This scene was kind of backwards. There were parts of it that made sense to the people in the room, and there were parts of it that didn't make sense. Okay, let me explain. It was custom when somebody came to your house for dinner. It was custom for you to wash their feet because you know we didn't have Nikes back then, all right? So they had sandals, and as they're walking around, dust would get on their feet, and so before they came in to you know on your Arabian rug or whatever it is, you know they had to wash your feet. So that was custom that when you came in the house, they'd wash your feet. But it. You, you normally didn't wash people's feet with oil. You washed it with water. And normally the person that washed your feet was a servant of the person who owned the house. And not only was it not oil, it certainly wasn't pure nard, right? It certainly wasn't like the most expensive oil. And then not only did you wash their feet, but you washed their feet when they came into the room, not in the middle of their dinner, right? So, so again, walk with me. The custom would have been that when Jesus arrived, a servant of the person who owned the house would have taken water, would have washed Jesus' feet before dinner started, and then Jesus would have dried it with a towel, and then Jesus would have gone to the table and been prepared for dinner. What happened was that in the middle of dinner, Mary pops in, goes over to the feet of Jesus, takes out pure nard, expensive perfume, uses that to wash the feet and ankles of Jesus, and then she dries it off with her hair in the middle of dinner, not the beginning. So you see what I mean by parts of it kind of made sense, but it really didn't. Like they would have kind of been like, I think I know what she was trying to do, but I'm not sure. Meanwhile, listen to this. What Mary did clearly communicated what Mary believed. Okay, what Mary did, the reason she did it the way that she did it, clearly communicated what Mary believed. Let me explain. Remember how John chapter 12 started with six days before Passover? Let me explain what Passover was. Passover was a time of the year where they would celebrate kind of a memory of how God freed the children of Israel from slavery. So if you recall from the book of Exodus, the children of Israel are in slavery under Pharaoh, and God uses Moses. Moses goes to Pharaoh, and God uses Moses to bring on plagues, and those plagues are what end up causing Pharaoh to release the children of Israel from slavery. One of those plagues was the death of firstborn and so there was this kind of an angel of death that went around and and there was this communication between God and his children where he said listen um, I, I want this angel of death to skip you so what I want you to do is I want you to sacrifice an animal I want you to take the blood of that animal and I want you to put it on the doorpost of your home and when that angel of death comes by it'll see that that home is your home because it will have the marking of the blood and that and that angel said and then he will, or God said that angel will pass over your house, and go to the next house. So that was the idea. of That's where Passover came from. That's what they're celebrating. So they would gather, and they would kill an animal, and they would celebrate the sacrificial lamb, right? Of that, they would celebrate the Passover. That's what was happening. So we are six days before Passover, that time frame, okay? Now watch this. It was custom that six days before Passover, you went and got your lamb that you were going to sacrifice, And you brought that lamb back to your house so that you would have plenty of time to inspect that lamb and make sure it was right for the sacrifice. What you did six days before the Passover was you took oil and you anointed the feet and the ankles of the lamb that you just went and purchased. Six days before the Passover, you, it was common knowledge to go and get your sacrificial animal and bring it to your house and take oil and anoint the feet and the ankles of the animal for the soon-to-be sacrifice. So when Mary busts into the room, what she is saying is clear. She's saying, I believe that Jesus is who I can trust for my salvation. They had this animal, and their trust was in this animal so much that they would anoint the feet in preparation. It's what they did because they believed that this animal would would deliver them from their sins. They believed that this animal was the ticket for their salvation. So when Mary busts in the room, Martha's cooking. Lazarus is chilling. Judas is complaining. The chief priest conniving. And Mary says, I'm going to the feet of Jesus because I trust that he is my salvation. Not this animal. Not some ritual. I believe it's him. I believe it's Jesus. And my belief, come on somebody, dictates my behavior. And so the reason why I'm behaving like this, the reason why you're cooking and I'm crying The reason why you're conniving and I'm crying is because I believe that Jesus is more than just a prophet. I believe he's more than just a teacher. I believe he's more than just a good person. I believe he is the Passover lamb. He is the sacrificial lamb. Jesus is my way to salvation. We got to believe this. Jesus is the only way. So if you're starting a journal today about what do you believe, the very first entry should be that I believe in Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah. Christ is not Jesus' last name. Christ is a title. It's the Messiah, the Christ which means that Jesus is who I trust for my salvation. That has to be your first entry in your journal. I'm gonna address a lot of things over the next 11 weeks. I'm gonna go after a lot of things that we're believing right now and what we should be believing. But don't get it twisted. This is the foundational belief that your salvation, you trust it, to Jesus, the Christ. I thought this was really cool. John, John, I'm I'm gonna skip ahead for a second. John sits down and he's he's writing the Gospel of John. Now, in case again you're just with us, the context is this: John, this these things happened a certain time ago, and now John is older and he's sitting down and he's writing his experiences. Now, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit directs him what to write. So when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, these are the things that they choose to put into the book. According to scripture is what the Holy Spirit brought to their remembrance to put in the book, okay? Which is why John said that had I recorded every miracle that Jesus did, it wouldn't even fit in all the books in the world. Now he's exaggerating a little bit, but here's his point, that Jesus did so many great things, but he could only pick a few, but he picked the few that he picked, because the Holy Spirit led him to pick those, all right? Makes sense? Sound like a Dr. Seuss book. So he sets down, John chapter 20, and, and, and he's been writing all the way up, right? 20 chapters of all this stuff. We're only on 12, so we still got eight more to get to this point, but I want you to see this. Put that John chapter 20 up. I think it's verse 30 and 31. Here's what John says. Watch this. It says, John gets ready to write. He says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples. what I was just talking about which are not recorded in this book. So there are things that Jesus did that were miraculous that we don't even know about because they're not recorded in this book. But, but, John says, these, chapter 12, chapter 13, chapter 14, chapter 15, chapter 11, how we went through the fact that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, Jesus is the new normal, Jesus is not fair, all these things that we went through and explained, John said, these were written that you may... That many may believe that Jesus is the Messiah. John says, I wrote all of this not to tell you how to behave. I wrote all of this so that you would believe in Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah. Watch, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. Whose name? Jesus. Did you see how behavior followed belief? I wrote these things so that you would believe in Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God, so that by... I want to retitle the sermon. Can we retitle the sermon, By Believing? That that by believing, you may have life. Listen to me. If you're in a moment right now where you feel like your life is going straight down the tube. <laughs> if you're like, man, I don't feel like I have life. John said, listen, it's not by behavior that you have life. It's by believing in Jesus Christ, the Messiah. I'll give you a little extra knowledge. You want a, you want a, you want a deleted scene? There's another time similar to John 12 where a woman goes in and anoints Jesus with oil. But there's kind of some confusion in it because this time it says it was two days before Passover. And this time the woman anoints his head. And so people are like, oh, you know, did, did, the, did the writers get it confused? You know what happened? No, no, no. You go get the lamb six days before Passover so you can anoint its feet. Two days before Passover, you anoint its head. Just more evidence, more evidence that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Christ. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, so that whoever may believe in him will know eternal life, have eternal life. Colossians 1 talks about how through Jesus, God reconciled him or us to him. The Bible is screaming at you. Not behavior, but belief. Jesus is the Christ. That he is your savior. And that by believing in him, you will be saved and you will have life full and to the abundance. So can we start there? Can we just... Hey, let's start here. What do you believe? I believe that Jesus is the Christ. I believe that Jesus is the Passover lamb, the the sacrificial lamb, that he died for my sins, that I was a sinner. But because of his death and his resurrection, I can now enter into heaven and my sins can be forgiven. I'm going to pray, but before I do that, I want to talk to both the people in this room and the people who are watching online. I think it's really important, as much as I want our church to move back into communicating what you believe, it's really important that we make sure that you believe what you should believe when it comes to salvation, and that you can be saved and then to be discipled. The Bible says you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth, meaning that I believe that Jesus is the Christ and I confess it with my mouth. And so I'm gonna lead us in a prayer in a moment. But I wanna ask you, if you're watching online, there's gonna be a number coming up on the screen. Do me a favor, I want you to text that number. That number lets me know that you have accepted Christ as the savior of your sins, that you believe in Jesus the Christ. That allows me to reach out to you, to connect to you, to answer any of your questions. If you're in here with me, and today is that day for you. And today you start believing in Jesus the Christ. I want to encourage you again, please talk to me outside in the lobby. I, I, one of the things that I am completely confident about in this year is that my job is to disciple the people who come to Victory Church. So that's what I want to do. What do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? If so, where do we go from here? Amen. Father, I thank you right now for your word. You're so good. And your word is so alive, so real, it's so true. And Father, as we're shaping what we believe based off your Bible, we start with the fact that we believe that Jesus is the Christ. And so for every person that's watching, if you're in here, and this is your first time, just out of your own mouth, just say, Jesus, I believe. I believe you are the Christ. I believe you're the Messiah. I believe that you are that sacrificial lamb, that Passover lamb. I believe that you died for my sins. I see what Mary did in John chapter 12 as she anointed your feet. I see on the other anointing when the lady anointed your head. I see John three sixteen. I see Colossians 1. I see the fact that John is saying that all of these things were to point us to believe that Jesus is Christ. Father, I thank you that you give us every opportunity and every chance to not only be able to believe in you, but to be able to learn more about who God is and how God loves us and sees us through you. Thank you for your word. I pray that your Holy Spirit would move on those that are both in this room and watching online to be able to take a step a little bit further into the fact that I believe that Jesus is my Savior. Father, we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.